Welcome to another episode of Learn with Bestern, where we discuss the latest trends in leadership development, self-development, as well as well-being. There's so much information out there. We want to make sure we bring in the latest insights and research based on neuroscience and behavior change to give you the tools that you need to make a change in your personal and professional lives. Join us on a journey to learn more. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others that might find it helpful. To tell you the truth, I was quite optimistic at the start of this year. We had two pandemics that has redefined the way we think and live, one viral and one related to mental health. Obviously, I say, hey, that's the year where corporations are going to get the right actions and make a substantial reduction of mental health challenges at work. Sad enough, it didn't happen. When we zoom in in the place where I live, the UAE, that is 55% of employees saying that they are thinking about quitting their jobs, which is much more higher than the global average of 36%. And there is another bad labeling, UAE workforce is the most stressed in the world. For my friends outside the UAE, please don't clap. The situation is not improving either in most of countries. And in this special episode of Learn with Western, where we talk about what we don't say about mental health at work. I needed to have a guest who is known for his candid way and depth to talk about this subject. And I found it. Scott Armstrong is a monument in the Arab world. He's the former editor-in-chief of Arabian Business Magazine. And recently he decided to go full blast on a purpose-driven venture. He is the founder of Mental. Mental is a platform providing a holistic approach to mental health issues issues in the workplace. By the way, I could feel that despite being a journalist writing mainly about business from time to time, you were speaking about mental health. Scott, welcome. Is there a personal story behind launching Mental? Uh, Well, I'm just trying to get get over the... A monument. I think that's probably going a little bit far, but um, I, I, or, or at least I look like a statue, maybe. Yeah, that's uh, been around for a, a few centuries. Um, yeah, is there a personal story behind mental? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, so there's sort of three whys, really, uh, in terms of a personal one. And one is me and my lived experience. Um, one with imposter syndrome all my life. Um, uh, one... Um, living through and existing with and learning from and that that last part is really important learning from um toxic work cultures um journalism is a very toxic uh environment to start with um and i've worked you know uh, i've I've worked for over 33 years and in that time shall we say i've had some really good teachers but i've also had some really poor leaders and sometimes the really poor leaders have been really good teachers when you look back after you kind of get out of the situation Indeed. um so yeah so there's a there's a personal of my experience my issues um my father as well was a ceo um built his own company um very successful man uh very driven man very uh, resilient man um me and him never had a conversation about his mental health all of his life 
up until the point where uh, he had a mental health breakdown and within three months he was dead. Um, so that kind of woke me up and that was about three years ago, three and a half years ago. And that kind of woke me up to the fact that it doesn't really matter how successful you are. It doesn't really matter what it says on your, you know, your employee badge, whether it says CEO or indeed, you know, a trainee. It, it's not a shield to mental health and the impact that that can have on you. Um, and then once you kind of begin to see it, you see it everywhere, you live it. Um, and I've had, you know, as I say, I've, I, I won't say, I won't name any names, but I've worked in organisations where it was so toxic that when the phone pinged, when the message came in, it was like a physical response, like my entire body would tighten. And I would consider myself to be like my father, or, you know, a resilient man, not a particularly, um, you know, uh, prone to panic, shall we say. Um, so and even to the point, actually, that one manager, when I was trying to get to sleep at night, I could almost see him in the corner of the room glaring at me in the dark. Yeah, obviously he wasn't there, but, you know, it just it was really like, wow, you know, um, um and I've been working for a number of years at this point. I was in a senior position uh, to then go, yeah, this isn't this isn't great, is it? Um, particularly kind of coming from my generation, which was the abused becomes the abuser in terms of being a leader or a manager. Because the generation, and if you look at it, like the Gen X leaders that we've got right now, the leaders that look like me, yeah, you're a bit younger than me, um, were never taught leadership. We were never taught emotional intelligence. They were, that was never part of the mission. It was always about get that P&L, however you do it, you know, make the profit. Because um, we grew up in a very materialistic generation, you know, like my generation um, counted score by the acquisition of material things. Um, so, yeah, it just it was a culmination of a lot of things. I've got children. I worry about my children growing up. Um, in a very polarized, toxic world. And obviously there's a lot of beauty and a lot of joy out there, but then we've got a lot of algorithms feeding spoon, you know, spoon feeding our kids, all sorts of hate, anger, uh, and bile in the name of engagement, in the name of profits. Mm. Uh, and I do kind of think that many of the social media giants are worse than the tobacco giants. Uh, another long conversation there. So <laughs> I've got a six year old girl. I've got a six-year-old girl and, and she needs better tools growing up than I had. Um, I needed better tools growing up than I had, but, you know, such as that. And I'm hitting 50 this year um, and it just, it felt like the time that I actually wanted to do something that might help, that might add some value to the world. Um, and so that's the ambition. That's the personal why. My kids, me and my dad. Scott, what you're saying resonates totally with me. But what is incredible is that in order to start really caring and thinking about our personal mental health and what the situation that we're living in is that we have to go through the pain. Mm -hmm. and, but this pain could be avoided. But in reality, it's like in my personal situation, also I had to live it through in order to understand it. Before that, it was something like mm -hmm. remote that could happen to someone. It was associated yeah. with weakness. And by the way, we are the same generation. Don't worry, Scott. I just yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with my Latin blood, a little bit younger, but um, no, <laughs> it is not. So uh, that's, that is something that is quite incredible and, and, and quite painful because when you start explaining to someone about 
the importance of their mental health, the, the importance of prevention, uh, they don't get it. It's not easy to get yeah. because they didn't go through the pain. And when they go through the pain, it's only the moment where they say, oh, okay, that, that went. And maybe it is a little bit too late some, sometimes because in order to recover, it takes really, uh, really a long time. Um, coming back to the toxic cultures that you were mentioning, mm. what do you think are corporations doing wrong on the way they deal about mental health today? Oh, I mean, I suppose it would be a quicker conversation to tell you what they're doing right, which is which is which is not a lot. No, I mean, look, this is an advancing conversation, and I think it's also. You know, it, it, it's a conversation that, that's at different speeds around the world. And we live in a, in a part of the world where actually, thankfully, I think 2022 and looking forward to 2023, things are going to be beginning to change. Um, and there's some real drivers for that. But that's not because corporations are waking up and suddenly going, oh, oh, it's like screws you at Christmas. You know, like, oh, we've been doing it wrong and let's keep Christmas in our hearts and that sort of thing. Um there's, there's, there's a number of things which is globally this conversation is um, it is getting louder. There's, it's almost like a perfect storm where generationally we know that the, the Gen Zs and the millennials don't want the toxic cultures that we grew up with. In this part of the world, we've had very lazy leaderships inside of companies um, because we have a thing here, which is that our kind of continued existence in the UEE is linked to our employment visa. Mm. And that traditionally has been a very easy whip for bad leaders to crack. You know, basically don't talk back, don't step out of line because otherwise, you know, you, you, and the UE is actually a brilliant place to live. It's very safe. It's, it's a desirable lifestyle. And once you're here, you know, people come for six months and then, you know, 10 years later, they're still here and they've got kids in school and all that sort of thing. It is incredible. It, I'm, genuinely, I would say it's one of the best places in the world to be right now as well. So, but with that comes this pressure that you want to keep hold of that. And that's something that very lazy leaderships in companies have used for a long, long time. Now, they should be really on their, you know, on alert because that's all beginning to change now. And it's being led by the government. And in many places yeah, around the world, often the private sector innovates in space and then the public sector, the government services kind of learn best practice. Here, the government's trying to set the best practice. So, you know, we saw at the beginning of the year, the UE became the first country in the world to switch its five-day working week to a 4.5-day working week, um, which is an evolving situation. But the government kind of in black and white said work-life balance matters. Mm -hmm. Now, that was only for the public sector. Some of the private sector have followed in spirit, well, or, or in name, but not in spirit, um, the school system here is followed and now they do work a 4.5 work a day week, which is my wife's works at school. So um, we've seen the benefits of that already. And the government's been up at Davos already reporting the benefits from increasing work-life balance in their cultures, which is less absenteeism, less presenteeism and um, increased productivity. Now, take it back to the corporate sector. We, they, the UAE government here started on a process of giving 10-year visas to talented individuals are called golden visas, um, which means you are no longer um, attached to an employer's visa. And they're, they're, they're still relatively rare, 
Um, and I'm, I'm really, really fortunate to have got one because um, it really removes this pressure that all of a sudden, you know, you're there on your own terms, not on your employer's term. But as of October the 1st, we've got green visas coming in here in this country, which is a five-year visa, which anyone with a, that's earning over a, a certain level who is a professional can now get off their employer's visa and get onto their own visa, which is really, really weird because all of a sudden you've got the UAE government valuing talent and valuing talented people more than their employers. And that shows you the kind of direction of travel in this country where they're going, they want to attract talent. They want to get the brightest and the best here. And they want the, they want the brightest and the best to stay here. Now, that then removes that lever uh, the employees have been able to pull. So what, what are they getting wrong? Sorry, incredibly long answer to your first question. Ultimately, they've been lazy. So they've not had to get it right. You know, there's been no, there's been no driver. There's been nothing behind them that made, you know, that, that, that made it you know, the right decision for them to try and do the right things. They've, they've long done the bad things because the bad things get the money and command and control hierarchical leadership, just do as you're told, is the easiest, is the easiest mm. but the poorest way to lead. Um, now we've got a lot of drivers where it's going, right, ultimately, you've got to look at your culture. And it doesn't matter, you know, we can get into the whole work, remote working, hybrid working in the office, you know, it, it, it really doesn't matter what your model is. If your culture stinks, um, then you're in trouble. And I actually think now when we look at the world, we look at the millennials, we look at the Gen Zs, we look at the great resignation and people at my end of the spectrum, we look at the technological change that we've been through, i.e. we know for a lot of us that we don't have to go to the office five days a week. We know we can do our job from home or we know we can do our job from the cafe or we know we can do that job, you know, um, spread out over, I'll do four hours in the morning, I'll pick my daughter up from school and I'll do another four hours at night. We know that the traditional model that we've all been locked into is completely unnecessary in many cases. Um, so it's a perfect storm. And I think toxic cultures and organizations really like, if they're not looking at changing, then they'll be gone in five to 10 years. It's literally, we've crossed an inflection point. This isn't about to happen. It's happened. And it, we're almost got companies in denial now. Mm -hmm. And I talk a lot, sorry. No, 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 it is fine. I love what you say, especially the fact, yes, we have crossed the inflection point. And something that I, I picked on, the, on your rhetoric, it was about this notion of fear. Um, mm -hmm. So I have the impression that companies, leaders are afraid of change because we don't know what is going to be the result. So all these guys who mm -hmm. came early in the 2000s specifically on uh, in the UAE, they they are our, our generation. Change is super difficult for them. So they have Absolutely. to do something constantly and suddenly they are asked to be more empathic. Yeah. Ask certain guys of who are in, in the 40s, 50s to, to be more empathic is, is a, yeah. bit like a, a big challenge. That's from the leadership side. And from the other side, something that it was quite relevant until the visa story that you mentioned, it was the financial approach, the financial. So we are always scared of losing uh, mm -hmm. what we have got. So for money, we will stay longer and we will in endure the pain. We will yeah. suffer in silence. We will yeah. hide in front of our families. 
how much yeah. we, we are in pain. So the, the concept of fear is something that is anchored inside of our brain. And when we have fears, it is even more difficult to find solutions, to find alternatives, right, um, Scott? Oh, no, totally. And I've lived it. I mean, I, I, I've literally lived it. And, you know, um, particularly when you've got responsibility, because we've all got roles and responsibilities, um, you know, as a father, as a husband. And when you're out here, like, and I, and I don't know, this isn't specific to the UEE, though, you know, it's just like, you don't want to, it's not about you're afraid to lose your job because you're afraid that you'll never find another job. You're afraid because you don't want to fail. And you don't want to let your, you know, you don't want to let your daughter down. You don't want to pull your daughter out of school. You know, um, you don't want to let, you don't want to be a failure in the eyes of your wife, you know, and they don't think that and they wouldn't think that. But we, you know, men are particularly bad at this as well, but we tell ourselves these stories and we build up this fear. And I, I, got, I literally got myself so screwed up. And eventually my wife, who's a very direct, honest woman, um, sometimes a bit too direct, you know, it's difficult to receive <laughs> Sometimes it's difficult to receive the wisdom. It takes a while for it to, to, to sink in. I know um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but she literally sat down and we talked it through and went, you know what, if this all goes, you know, if if wherever we're living, um, and we live in a reasonably humble place, but a nice place, um, if, and we have to jump up, we have to be on a plane and we have to go back to the UK and we have to start again and we have to rebuild, um, mm. we'll do it. We'll be fine as a family. You know, it's, it, it's literally not the end of the world. And... Um, we get so wrapped up in ourselves and this, I don't want to fail. Um, and it's, you talk about fear and I'm not trying to sound like any, you know, I have a lived experience. My lived experience was, it was the fear of the thing, not the thing itself. It was the fear of losing everything and the consequences of that. And ultimately when you went down to it, it's like, when you looked at it, it wasn't even the fear of the physical things. It was the fear of being, a failure and then having to look at yourself and go I failed and then it, it, you know and that's that's that that all comes back down to right if we in an individual level can deal with that fear um and the visa situation shall we say here takes that pressure off a little bit and also they've got unemployment insurance coming next year where people can buy into it and therefore be even more insured but if we are not afraid to fail if we can get over that, if we can recognize that that's part of life, you know, um, then we're going to feel a little easier in our workplaces, in these cultures. We're going to be able to stand up for ourselves. And actually, it's really weird because, you know, if you look at the Gen Zs and you look at the millennials and the Gen Zs, um, they are the first generation that was a McKinsey report out recently that show that the Gen Zs are the first generation that prioritise meaning and purpose yes. over salary. Okay. Um, and the kids have got a lot more choices than we had. We were brought up, you know, when, when me and you uh, went to work, um, the only place we could go and work for was a boss, you know, was an organisation because they controlled all the access to the market, controlled all the access to the customers. They had the technology and the infrastructure that made it possible for you to to earn a living and make a craft and all that sort of thing. A lot of our children, particularly, you know, in the UEE, which is very tech savvy, um, lots of opportunity, um, they don't need to. They, they, they don't need to jump on the treadmill. They can set up their own businesses. They can sell on social media, you know, for all the ills of social media. That does provide them access to customers and markets. And that, 
there's uh, Gary V um, came into town um, a few months ago, and he was talking about the great. Res- we talked about the great resignation, which yep. is people like me jumping off the treadmill finally and going, I want to do something that really sort of resonates to my purpose. But he said the thing that employees need to worry about the most is not the great resignation. It's the great I'm never going to come and work for your company in the first place because the kids got choices. You know, they've got skills, they've got talent, they've got choices. And we are in in this period of disruption. It's a real period of disruption. Nobody's quite got it figured out yet. That's fine. But there was a a survey by PwC. PwC every year did this survey of CEOs and and what they think is important, you know, and what they're going to prioritise this year and all that kind of thing. And there was two almost very contradictory findings. And like the first one, what do CEOs need and also fear is their, the ability to evolve, adapt, be agile and innovate. And that's probably the most important word, innovate, so they can ride all the waves of disruption and continue to be a relevant company with a sustainable future because technologies and markets are changing faster than they ever have done probably in the cycle of you know, uh, industrial revolution. We've now got, you know, Web 3.0, Web 4.0, the, the, the fourth industrial age. Like mine, you know, it is a lot out there. And for companies to stay relevant and up to date, they need the kids. They absolutely need the young talent coming through. On the flip side of that, and they recognize that, that is their company's future. On the flip side of that, the things that are released on CEO's radar, mental health, well-being, diversity and inclusion, um, and ESG, you know, the planet, sustainability, all the things we know and the millennials and the Gen Zs tell us are important to them. And if they have a choice, if talent has a choice, they're going to go and work for the companies that prioritise all the second point. Now, if companies don't, what's their future? You know, you know, it's, it's, you know their, their future is based on people like us trying to figure out how to use TikTok. Um, and if you see me dance, that's not a good thing. Um, <laughs> but, you, but you know, I mean, I mean, it's a flipping argument, but they literally are zombies. I call them zombies. They are the walking dead. And if they don't get it, if they don't have, and you don't need to be young to get this. You don't need to be young to get this. There's a great guy called Mark Mobius. Um, oh, yes, I know. And he... You know him? Yeah. The father of emerging markets, also known as the bold eagle. We look very similar. Uh, we, we get on. I think all three of us, we, should, we, we need to go out. And, <laughs> but he, you know, pretty smart guy uh, when it comes to money. He's an investor and he invests in companies all around the world. And I think he, uh, if I remember the figures right, he took $40 million worth fund and turned it into $50 billion. Um, and he invests in companies um, based on their sustainability. So here's the thing, and he wrote a white paper called ESG plus C, which is, are you sustainable in terms of the planet, but also you are you sustainable in terms of your culture? And if you're not, I'm not going to invest in you because that is a risk. And I'm not, as Mark would say, an evangelist about mental health or the planet or culture. I'm a va- uh, The reason why I lean into it, because I look at it as a cold, calculated, business decision if i look at this on the balance of risk 
your employees are going to leave you. You're not going to attract the talent. You're not going to identify that wave of disruption that's going to make you, an, you know, irrelevant and you know a company. So I'm only going to invest in you if I feel that your culture and your ESG policy is correct. Um, he even uses Glassdoor scores when he looks at his portfolio scores. And if you don't know what Glassdoor is for anyone who's tuning in, these are the websites that a lot of disgruntled employees go on after they leave and go, this is a terrible company, right? If, if, if nothing else strike, should strike fear into the, the hearts of CEOs and HR departments, it's like, we're going to be judged. And our ability to attract investment is going to be judged on what people say when they leave us. Uh, oh, that's a bit of an issue. How are we going to tackle that? So again, and also Mark also tracks because he's a very clever guy. Remember, 50, he's made $50 billion. So he's pretty good. He tracks the performance of the companies within his portfolios. And he's able to prove that companies with yeah, good companies with good cultures and good policies make more money. And this is the what are they getting wrong? What are companies getting wrong? They don't realize, or it's it's just so difficult for them to change. But we've been operating one way for a hundred years, and as you say, change is difficult. But there's it doesn't matter who you look at: McKinsey, PwC, BCG, EY, any global research looks at it and goes, the ROI of doing the right thing, particularly in terms of your workforce and your mental health space, whether you're talking about stemming talent attrition, attacking talent into your business, absenteeism, presenteeism. Right now, I think the World Health Organization uh, figures show that we are losing from, you know, our economies are losing $5 trillion a year um, due to mental health. That's a lot of money that is literally just being burned because we are burning people. Um, and by 2030, that only gets worse. That gets to six trillion. Um, the figures, the UE had figures back in 2019. I've not seen the most recent figures, uh, but they did a study. And even in the UE, that's $5 billion. And the, on the flip side of that, so that's the bad side. That's what's going. On the good side, all those research houses, doesn't matter, you know, how much evidence do you need? It's like, the return is somewhere between four, you know, for every dollar you spend, you get $4 back. Now, if I'm a chief financial officer, I say this before as well, like, hang on, if we spend a dollar on something, we're going to get $4 back in terms of productivity, less absenteeism, and actually presenteeism, and presenteeism is actually more expensive than absenteeism, which is another myth that's inside companies. Um, actually, people being at their desks, but not engaged and mentally, you know, mentally healthy, is, is more expensive to, to, you know, and more damaging to productivity than people just being off. Because essentially what happens is when people go off, often other people take that off because there's a physical absence. Whereas when people are, you know, presenteeism, things just don't get done because people are not in their, you know, optimal, uh, optimal state at the workplace. So it's, it's not easy for bosses. Uh, you know, and I've got some sympathy because it's also not easy for the C-suite, as you say. Um, Every every boss that has been, I'm not going to use the, I'll, I'm going to try and keep my language clean, but every boss that's perhaps not been the nicest to me, uh, you know, and who have taught me those lessons looking back, they're terrified children. They're terrified children. They've got all the same, uh, and perhaps even more, um, emotional flaws, 
issues, mental health problems, um, the, the same imposter syndrome. The difference is that they can't, you know, they're, they're too scared to admit it to themselves. And then they're locked in this position of power where they've got people who are looking up to them. And again, if you think about when you're an insecure, you know, you're that insecure and then you've got people who are going, well, I'm not quite sure that's right. You know, what's your response? I mean, I, I've learned in, in, you know, in my marriage to go, yeah, um, I'm, yeah it's, it's a bit like original sin in the Catholic religion. I'm always wrong, you know, <laughs> but, um, but all of a sudden, then the boss is like, how dare you attack me? You know, and command and control kicks in because it's the only way that they can deal with it. And actually, they'd be much better off going, yeah, do you know what? I know, I'm not quite sure. Why don't we try and find the answer together? You know, because then you actually get to a real solution rather than these CEOs and these leaderships and these C-suites who are kind of expected to be supermen and superwomen. I mean, it's just, you know, women in the boardroom, much better off, by the way, um, much better leaders, much more inspiring, much more empathetic. Um, honestly, blokes, we shouldn't, there's, there's a lot of times I think that we shouldn't even be in a C-suite to start with. Because um, the the women I work for in my life have been a lot more inspirational than the men, but that's a different issue. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So we yeah, with the C suite's terrified. He's terrified of change, but he's also terrified of actually looking in the mirror and looking at themselves and going. Uh, and right now, the direction of travel is only one way. If you're in the C suite right now and you're looking at it, and you've still got another 10, 15, 20 years that you want to be working you're gonna have to make some changes because you cannot keep doing it you know it's just it doesn't work anymore it's gone let go you've been <laughs> miserable for de- you've been miserable for decades and you've been shouting at people and you've been terrified for decades so why not just let go and tr- and learn and do what the rest of us are all doing which is learning a new way of leading a new way of leading our lives um you know particularly with the pandemic waking us all up to the you know to 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 the limited amount of time we actually have on this planet to have a decent existence scott uh, allow me to highlight a couple of very relevant Mm -hmm. points that that we we need for people for our audience to keep in mind so there is all there has always been an association that the cost of mental well-being is about the cost the medical cost of someone who is already leaving uh, the, the company or who is in treatment. But, but in reality, the biggest cost is presenteeism, what you define mm-hmm. as, as being part of being less productive. And this is growing. And this yeah. is quite huge. That's point number one, in order to redefine a little bit the perception of well-being at work. The second thing Absolutely. is, you, you, when you were discussing about Gen Z, I was trying to imagine back in the days when I was looking for a job, I was comparing salaries in order to choose mm-hmm. where to go. Today, Gen yeah. Z doesn't even look at the salaries. They go to Glassdoor. They look at the reviews. How is the culture? How they are? How do, do they have real values? That is it inspirational to work for? So, and that's how they take a decision. And they, what this yeah. one cost of opportunity for many companies that if they don't work on that culture they are going to miss the opportunity to attract these talents that they need. It's like, like having, you, you mentioned investments for the long term. Your investment is to attract this guy who can work yes. from Thailand and who knows how to do stuff in, on artificial intelligence, in, uh, I don't know, in blockchain, whatever, remotely. Absolutely. And you need to be able to attract it. And 
because they are paying attention. They are going to the right review sites in order to, to compare, uh, compare companies. Third point, love that dimension about C-suite and women. I was astonished, you know what, that maybe five years ago, there was an article about HBR that was comparing the different traits of leadership that makes people successful. And in 95% of these traits, women at pace, men. Yeah. That's incredible. And a lot of people do not know that. They still believe that we are pro-women because it is a nice thing to have. No, there is proof to that. The thing yeah. is that we shouldn't be scared as, as men that they are better than us in, in like natively better than us in certain traits. What, what is important is that men can learn these traits. Empathy can be something that is a learnable skill, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a muscle that just needs to be a trained and then be used regularly. You know, um, it's yeah, yeah. And as you say, I mean, I think that's a really good way of putting it as well. And I was actually at an event yesterday. I was I was at a brilliant event yesterday where I was kind of honoured and privileged to be the only man at a women only event. Um, about um, and it was a women in leadership event. Wild. Um, they do. Uh, Emma does a series of talks and events around, and that was all about mental health. And I, I was listening to leading psychologists. I was leading entrepreneurs um, tell their stories about mental health. And you know, incredibly honest, incredibly brave conversations about their mental health. You know, um, Dr. Salah Afridi, who runs the Lighthouse Arabia. Um, you know, and uh, at the surface level, you know, she's incredible. She's amazing, but also talks about how she's in therapy you know, twice a week to make sure, or two hours a week of therapy to make sure to keep herself healthy. You know, uh, how many CEOs and how many leaders actually go through that process, you know, of, of actually going there, um, yeah, looking after themselves. And, you know, and, and if we look, if we think about the CEO, is the is is the parent if, if the ceo is the parent and they're on the plane they're told to fit their oxygen mask first before they help anybody else and yet the way it's all set up right now the ceos they're the last people particularly our generation again so much research out there that shows you um the c the c-suites of the boomer generation and the gen x work longer hours, we do, we work longer hours, and we're more stressed. Mm. And we're less likely to be open to mental health, well-being within the workplace. So we're completely in denial, and we're working ourselves to burnout rates. Um, and we cannot let go of it. Whereas millennial managers, and remember actually, actually the millennials now are what? Coming up to about 40 or 41 years old, you know, they're an age range, um, are a lot more empathetic they're a lot more open to well-being but they're also a lot more um, into their work-life balance and the ue is going to be a really interesting i'm really looking forward to um fast forwarding a year and having a look at where we are next year because when you at the top of the hour you were talking about 55 percent of people want to leave their jobs in the ue that comes from the signa 360 well-being survey which i was fortunate and proud to be part of the panel that delivered it this year. Um, last year, because the, they do, this is the eighth year that this survey has been running. Last year, they, they asked employees, um, do you want to quit your job? And 50% last year wanted to quit their job. 
Of that 50%, four out of five did. So this isn't just pork. This is um, people actually walk it. It's like, you know, bosses, you can stick your ding, la, 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 la. It's not happening. It's not real. It's just a trend. It's just on social media. I'm not going to listen to it. Sorry. It's, it's genuinely real. And like, if you, So last year it was 50%. This year it's 55%. And there was some, actually some really good research in there about the UE as well. Like I know 98% stress because we have a very always on culture. And I think the government here recognise that and they're trying to do something about that, you know, and there is the fear and that always on culture comes back to the fear, which is being taken off the table and removed. So those bosses won't be able to use that moving forward, but also um, the UEE and we as workers are one of the, we're, I think we're leading the world in um, wanting, are changing our priorities um, in terms of we will take less salary to have the time to do other things. We value family a lot more, you know, very highly. Um, we're willing to retire earlier, even if it means we retire on less cash mm. to enjoy life more. And we are the, mo the most willing to quit our jobs in, in search of a better work-life balance. Or in, and, and work, it's either work-life balance or it's job with purpose, meaning that because, you know, kids coming into the curriculum are often, if they find something that they're passionate, they might work 18 hours a day, but that's because purpose and it's got meaning and that does, and even then they're gonna have to look after themselves. But it's not necessarily, you know, work-life balance, it's about purpose, about meaning, it's about, you know, how I feel. Um, and that's, that all comes back to cultures. And if you think, you know, we used to, we used to look at Google um, or Facebook and they got, pool tables and they've got the slides that kids are coming down it's like yeah that's great it's worth absolutely nothing if people feel terrified when they're at the workplace there's no flexibility so they can't go to the dentist or the gym or pick the kids up from school or go to the school play you know all these things that just make life worth living and it takes so little effort to build that into a culture it doesn't matter how much lip service either physical or otherwise you pay to this you don't get your culture right and change it, it doesn't mean anything. Isn't it's meaningless? I, I, you know, I was thinking that it is right that not many CEOs are talking openly in a vulnerable way about mental health. But I, I wanted just to give a reference because it helped me a lot back then when I had my mental health challenges. There was this the founder of a company called Moss. Moss is like. SEO, AI uh, co companies, a tech company. Yeah. The founder of uh, of Moss, his name is Rand Fishkin. He he wrote a beautiful book called Lost and Founder, a painfully honest field guide to the startup world, where he talks about <laughs> his burnout, his mental challenges in in his company. If anyone has the time, I would definitely recommend it. It was quite inspiring, yeah. quite like really sharing. Uh, Scott, I really need to get back to to our our key point about highlighting some of the examples. I want to be a little bit more graphic about some real stories stories, and we don't need to have names by managers or workplaces that you find that are contributing to the deterioration of mental health. I want to give the example, uh, Scott. I want I, I want to give two examples of my corporate uh, corporate life. Please, yeah. 
he was a very good man, in fact. But what is shocked to me that is when he said to me, Ivan, you have to choose. You want a family or you want a career? Yeah. That thing, I was in my mid-20s, was processed in my um in my brain. The second thing <clears throat> is very close to me living in um uh, my corporate life. It was when my manager said to me, um, you are spending quite a lot of time devoting for personal conversations with the with the different teams in the in the markets. Um, you are not enough of an ass, and I will put the three three dots to mm-hmm. make it to vi- vice president in this company. Mm-hmm. So I needed to be inhuman or yeah. don't care about people to make it to that level. That's my takeaway. And that yeah. little thing, I think it was the tip when my mental health really, as you said, is yeah. work-life balance is not what is going to break me in terms of number of hours that, that, that you spend at work. But when you have this cognitive dissonance, when your values are not fitting with their values, that's what breaks you. It's so hard. I mean, look, I can, I've got such similar stories as well from my corporate life. You know, I worked for 33 years since I was 16 um, and I I hit 50 this year, like in one, in one previous post um, across the three decades, um, just to give a little bit of anonymity. But uh, yeah, I mean, I went to one job. And I, and I was I was I was passionate. I, was, I had energy, um, but I, I but I basically said, look, um, I work for you twenty two hours a day, but I just need two hours, which is when I you know put my kids to bed. Mm-hmm. I need uh, two hours a day. And the rest of it, you can have me on call. Mm-hmm. And the response was, don't let your personal life get in the way of your work. Which I was like, right. And so that position, I literally quit that job three weeks in, um, and. Actually, me and the, the the kind of the guy that said that to me remain good kind of friends today, and we have like interesting backwards and forwards. But you know, I've worked in newsrooms where they talk whether whether anxiety is good for newsrooms. No, it's not. Anxiety mm-hmm. like anxiety over short bursts, yeah, to meet a deadline. But anxiety all the time is actually debilitating, and actually, it, it's not great for productivity. Um, uh, and then yeah, like I mean, I was in a in one previous post. We were doing well, or I thought we were doing well, and then the management, and it, it, it was basically because they just wanted to get their end of year bonuses turned around and went, oh, you've got to make 70% of your department uh, redundant. And you're like, God. So then, you know, and you're like, uh, my first, my literally, my first response was, well, fire me first. Uh, but we're not going to do that. And if you, if, we, you, if you go, then you'll have no control over the process of who stays or who goes. Uh, but we'll do it for you if you want. We'll, we'll do it. Don't worry. We'll get the people in and do it. And you're like, no, you won't because I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure that everyone's taken care of. And B, these guys have not done anything wrong. They haven't failed. Um, and you're just going to make them feel bad. And I want to at least do this in a human as way as possible. But I, I remember being in that process and it, you know, it, and this is bleeding heart me, you know, as, as a manager, having to make people lose their jobs. But at one point during the middle of the process i had to go for a run because i literally had all of this anxiety building up for me and like one night i literally looked and i hadn't gone running for ages i looked at my wife and went i've just got to get out i've got to move and i was almost like i was out running the feelings that were inside me about this team who i uh, had so much affection and respect and love for because they've done such a good job and now they're going to lose their jobs 
I mean, literally, I, I ran and I ran trying to outrun the feelings and then eventually sat down on a bench and cried for about 30 minutes. Um, uh, you know, and then went back and managed to, yeah, I think I managed the, the, the process as human as possible and actually did manage to find everybody new jobs, which was great. Um, but incredibly painful process for them to go through, an incredibly painful process for me to go through. And then at that point, I recognised that there was absolutely no loyalty um, and that we were all disposable. Uh, and that, the, 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 the same guy, and again, 33 years, so not, not pointing any fingers, but he would regularly say to me, oh, that, that new person needs to be in fear of their jobs. What? No, they, they need to be in fear of their jobs. We need to motivate them. They need to feel like, you know, they're going to they're gonna lose their jobs. I'm like, I'm not going to rule with fear, you know. And actually, I, I, I said, I'm never going to rule with fear. Uh, a few months later, I got fired. <laughs> a few weeks later, almost, I got fired. But, you know, the right position to take. And that individual might never know what my position was. Um, I might still think I'm a bit of an ass, but there we go. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> but it, it, it's changing, you know, these days as well, where we look back, um, again, most of the people making these decisions grew up when we grew up about, and, you know, Michael Douglas, Wall Street, greed is good. Yeah. Mm. There's nothing wrong with ambition, and there's nothing wrong with hard work, and hustle, you know, controlled hustle can be a good thing, but this whole we sacrifice everything to the mighty dollar. We sacrifice everything to P&L. It has changed. It, it, like, we are in the thing where the, the fundamental foundation, the DNA of what makes a successful company moving forward has changed. And I know there's lots of leaderships and bosses out there that are looking at the recession. I was on a great conversation with a guy, um, Jose, who used to run Time Out. He's the global CEO of Time mm. Out. Um, and we had this conversation. Um, um, about a recession's coming and there's a lot of leaderships out there going yes there's a recession coming so there'll be fewer jobs and we'll be able to rule people with fear again and get them back into the office and do as they're told and he's like no 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 you just see those signal results that said more people want to quit than last year yes i understand you know particularly in places like the ue where actually i think they'll do a re I think they'll do a great job in terms of, you know, we saw it through the pandemic. The response to the pandemic was unbelievable. Um, and they attracted so much talent and prosperity. Um, they're just going to do the same thing. And I, th and I think particularly in this part of the world, there's a lot of prosperity, but there's also a lot of opportunity. Um, we're beginning to prioritize startups and the SME circuits. Uh, the mental, let's not get into the mental health, or we can do if you want, but you know, there's a big mental health issue in, in starting up your own business as well, which you know, um, I, I'm seeing firsthand being a relatively new founder. You know, founders have real, real struggles, and we also don't have a lot of the security blankets that employees have. Um, you know, and I think there's a, there's a big opportunity for uh countries nations infrastructures that really prioritize the well-being of bright founders so that they can build businesses that add value to the world and what people do not recognize enough about founders is that one of the key elements that contributes to their stress is when they're raising money 
because yeah. you are in front of people who are who don't consider the human they just want yeah. to want you to say 5x 10x in in one year in order yeah. to get the money yeah 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 so much yeah. better scott i've been i mean i've been really really fortunate really really fortunate um uh, and i knew what it was so I'll, you know a i'm 50 or i'm 40 i'm not 50 i'm 49 about 50 this year and i knew what i wanted with this um so i've in a very short space of time been able to have conversations with people and go right i'm not this isn't a 10 well this maybe maybe it's going to be a 10x or a 20x but the i feel you know the, the problem right now is it's a bit of a ponzi scheme in the mm. investors are looking for get rich quick schemes they're looking for businesses where they can go right we can flood that with numbers and then we can flip it and get out and then it's who's who's left holding the business is it a business that actually provides value in the world is it a business that's a sustainable business and right now often we don't care it's like no can, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a bit like crypto in a way. It's like, yeah. can I get rich quick off this? Mm. Um, rather than, because funding, uh, uh, you know, we're all looking for the hockey stick, which is exciting. Of course it's exciting. It's, you know, it's like the, you know, winning the lottery. Oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I spent a dollar and I got a million dollars back. Um, it's less exciting to be, possibly, to be an investor and go, okay, I'm going to invest in this slow burn company. But, it's going to be a company that's got a future for 10, 15, 20 years, and it's going to help people. So I was able to talk to um, a, a community of people. Um, and in the end, I bought two investors, both who just believe in, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're, they're business people. They, they want to return, but they believe in the mission. They believe in help supporting mental health. Um, and, and Mark and Arjun, just for the record, I'm deeply grateful. But they they invested in sort of me as a human being and the, and the the mission to help other people and build a business that actually has value um, and actually does something rather than right. This is going to be a hundred x. You've got to show me it's going to be a hundred x. And then the minute you know I start on the road, how many people have we got? 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 How many customers? Where's my hockey stick? You know. Um, so I'm I'm really deeply lucky in that. But that's again another unsustainable foundation that we're building. We're trying to build companies based on this whole, you know, flood it with numbers rather yeah. than flood it with value. Mm. Scott, I wanted to get back to to the stories of horrible managers that that, that we have got uh, in our life, uh, work life, mm. uh, because I I want to highlight to our audience that these are signals. When you are living similar stories, is your time yeah, to yeah. take an action, because the fact that they allow in this environment to have managers like that is a signal that the culture is like that. That the, he, this yeah, manager yeah. is rewarded for doing what he's doing to you. So this is the moment yeah. to say, do I want to spend that? Imagine that a company needs approximately four to five years to change culture because it's not like something that you can do from one day to the other. Like you put a mm -hmm. list in your website and everybody's going to follow. No, you have to retrain the old habits of people that people has been doing for, for years. So it will take four to five years. Do you want to spend this four or five years in that company until they change? Or do you want to take the action to find something that is more suitable for your mental health? That's yeah. that's my 
call to action for the people who are listening. Yeah. And, and, the, and the reality is, um, the more you lean into it, like the millennials and the Gen Z don't, you know, they, they, they sweat it a lot less. Okay. They will go, right. They're the most open to change. They're the most open to quitting their jobs. But increasingly, again, the figures show us that actually, if you are thinking about leaving your job, you're not alone. You're actually in the majority. Um, and also, <laughs> the, the statistic shows if you're struggling with your mental health in your workplace, you are not alone. You are actually in the majority. Um, and when I posted that story about, you know, I literally posted online on LinkedIn about I had this boss who, you know, WhatsApp, it was a physical reaction. My entire body used to tighten. I used to be able to see him in the corner of the room. Unbelievable people, number of people on, on LinkedIn. It was one of the things that kind of started me on the path as well, thinking there was, you know, a need there to be serviced and a need there to be met. Um, like, oh my God, I thought I was alone. And this whole mental health, and let's face it, it's mental health. So there's mental health and there's mental illness. And just mental health, you know, the anxieties that we all have, which can build and build and build, and they can build and develop into mental illness as well. Um, we all have it, but we don't talk about it. It's a private pandemic. It is a pandemic. You, you called it a pandemic. It's a private pandemic. How many times when you get onto this with your work colleagues or even with your friends, how often does it go to that place? How often do we talk about mental health? On a one-to-one, so often, uh, in an open conversation, in platforms like this, in the media, in your office, you know, to your boss, your boss to you, how often does that happen? Not nearly enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and just look at the language that's being used towards you in the workplace. I worked in one place where I had a guy and he's like, yeah, I would I'd be responsible, like if it was a breaking headline or something like that, I would have to go over and tell him that he had to change the front page. And he would look, he used to glare at me. I was, I was, as a kid, I was terrified of this guy. Yeah. And considering we were trying to improve the product, this guy would look, look at you and go, I only want to communicate with you via a medium. And a medium is one of these people that communicates with the dead, you know, I don't know, you know, for an international audience, you know, like it's like, right. Okay. You know, that's, not the most empathetic um, building block for us, our relationship. You know, that's not necessarily going to get us to the best product, to the best, you know, at the quickest amount of time. Um, so, yeah, lots of, uh, yeah, lots of, I'm, 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 I've grown up in a, in a profession where leadership and coach and leadership and coaching was never taught, you know. Um, and I think this happens in lots of, lots of companies, particularly as you rise through the ranks. And I've, I've definitely lived this in that the minute you get into that kind of managerial position, you have to learn, you know, the, the physical demands of that job. I, I need to make this amount of money or I need to get this product out of the door. Not I need to learn how to lead the team, but just I have to, you know, I've got all these deliverables on me and I have to make sure these deliverables are met. And actually, if you went in first and go, right, the first thing I'm going to teach you is how to lead and it's almost a you know i think it's sometimes the wrong term inspire shall we say coach your team you know and, uh, and I'm, I'm not uh, that's very much learned wisdom over three decades and within those three decades there will be people from the third certainly from the first half of my career and scott you were a terrible boss um and i i always wanted to be a fair boss 
Uh, I used to have this whole thing that I would treat everybody the same, except we know we can't treat everybody the same because everybody's different. So I used to, you know, and I was I was brought up one way and I, I echoed that behavior in management for, for, for many years. And there will be people who, for the best will in the world, I was trying to educate, but will have delivered the message poorly and hurt them while delivering that message. And it's taken me a long time to kind of develop to the point where I was like, you know what? It's, and Jose also talked about this, um, which is servant leadership. Yeah. You know, which is, look, your team are the players on the field of play. Do you know what I mean? It's for them to score the goals. There are not many sports teams that win medals and cups and trophies and world titles who are ruled by fear. It doesn't happen. You know, they are built up. They are supported. They, they, of, of course, managers in football teams and in, in sports teams work and train and get people to train and work through um, their flaws. They, they, it's all about improving their skills. It's all about improving their skills. And it's all about winning. Um, but when you rule with fear, it doesn't work in the sports world. But why do we think ruling with fear is good in the workplace? It, it's not. You know, um, so if you as a boss can recognize two, I think two things. One, you are only there to help your team do the best job they can and be the best they can. That's your job. If you do that, you're going to win because if they win, you win. Yeah, it's not the other way around. And you are there to serve them. So that's that's point one. And two, recognize that your insecurities. Um, and your doubts about your ability, and, and, and as a guy with imposter syndrome pretty much all my life, that's it. They're your issues. They're not your team's issues. So even if you are frightened, even if you don't know the answer, it's okay to not know the answer. In fact, it's actually better. I, you know, I often used to talk to my team about the, the, the first thing, if you don't know something, please put your hand up so we can work on it together. Mm. But actually, that's what bosses need to do as well. Because if you don't know, then you're leading from a flawed place anyway. You're just guessing. And you're guessing because you're too terrified to let your team know that you don't have all the answers. And you're not a supercomputer. You, you know, you're not butter. You don't know everything all of the time. You're not omnipresent. It's, it's, it's impossible. Um, so, yeah, just recognize that your issues are not your team's issues and that you're there to serve your team and not the other way around. I love this example about <coughs> that leaders are not, shouldn't be considered as demigods. The, the point is about reducing the distance between your team and yourself. And as a leader, if you show vulnerability that you don't know all of the answers, you be considered as part of the team. And be considered as, as part of the team, it means building on trust. This generation of oxytocin that is going to make that people are more productive, more happy at work, and so on. So we need to practice this, this this ability, in fact, to be like like them. Now, Scott, I wanted to go, let's do a, a crazy exercise. So imagine that we have a time traveling machine and we travel mm -hmm. 10 years from now. Yeah. And sad reality, nothing has changed. No actions have been taken in terms of mental health. What is happening in the workplace in that society? What's happening in the workplace in... 10 years from now, imagine that yeah. nothing has changed. Mental health is still a problem. No major action has been done. What is happening 10 years from now in the 
at work? Oh, I think we already know. I mean, look, it's interesting. You go to the Dubai uh, Future Foundation, you go to the Museum of the Future. Um, one of the, and they, they have these predictions about the future. They say by 2030, loneliness becomes one of the biggest killers of, of mankind. Um, you know, and if you look at the World Health Organization's own modeling, um, mental health will by 2030 be the biggest killer. It'll be the biggest cause of morbidity in the world. You know, um, so we know that it's not, I don't need a time machine. Um, we, 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 it, it, it's, it's a bit like, you know, a Christmas Carol and Scrooge being shown the, you know, by the ghost of the Christmas future. Uh, well, you know, you're going to be in the grave if you don't. Um, so I, I, I almost refuse to accept the reality of, because uh, I think we know what the future holds. We're actually being shown the future by that ghost of Christmas future, that ghost of employment future is that companies that don't will be in will be in the grave because this is it's undeniable you know we have changed we are now a, you know and if you look a hundred years ago when henry ford brought this in this whole workplace this five days a week all that kind of thing even when he brought it in a century ago he went well this is not how it has to be forever and when maybe we've not got it right and we might look at changing it mm -hmm. you know a hundred years later everything else has changed but this, but this has now changed. And too many things have, we work in a knowledge economy, okay? Or in many jobs, you know, because if you think about the, the change from what used to be the industrial ever, ever, evolution of, um, revolution, sorry, in terms of manufacturing, okay? We've got a lot, a lot fewer human beings making things, you know? We've got a lot more human beings these days thinking things. Yeah. Um, and I always kind of look at this thing and I, if you as, a, as an owner of a business were to spend, for example, $100,000 on a piece of machinery, um, you wouldn't abuse it and run it so much that it broke permanently. You would, in fact, hire people to look after your investment. And you look at your machinery as an investment that you want it to last and run for 10 years. But we don't look at our human beings the same way our human capital our human assets and if we want our human assets to run for 10 years where's the investment in maintaining that because they are now the machinery of your business particularly because we're in a knowledge economy um and we have again an, an, another one of the companies i work for again across the three decades had such a bad reputation in their market for hiring talent that they used to have to travel to a different country and make this big sell about come and work for us. And then people will come and work for them and they fly them all over. And then when they're here, everybody would be looking around going, well, this is awful. Um, and I'll go and work for another company. I mean, think of all the money that's been wasted there. And this whole idea that, you know, human beings are batteries. It's a bit like the matrix, you know, human beings are batteries and we will run them down and then we'll throw them away and then we'll get more batteries. We'll just get more batteries from the shops, you know, the shop, the shop shelves. The difference is, is the batteries don't want to be batteries anymore. You know, it's a bit like, it is a bit like the Matrix. You know, the batteries are rejecting, um, you know, rejecting that. And also right now in particular, we're in a talent crunch. You know, the, the labor market's really, really tight. So there are fewer batteries on the shelves anyway. Hmm. So, yeah. So looking forward 10 years, um, I kind of, I, I, I almost think it's impossible for us to arrive at that destination because the fundamentals of change have, or, have already happened. Um, we know 
that mental health and mental health will get worse anyway. I think just the outlying conditions of everything that's going around the world, social media, polarization, um, unless we do something pretty drastic, I, I, you know, I, I look at companies and companies, if you look at ESG as an issue, five, 10 years ago, everyone, you know, lots of companies were denying ESG. Um, and now it's a fundamental in a boardroom. You cannot do business because you've got legislation and boardrooms have now gone from having ESG departments to ESG being democratized through the entire country, through the entire company. I think mental health is a bit like where ESG was five, 10 years ago. And I think in five, 10 years time, mental health will be foundational in terms of any company. How, or mental health slash culture, um, because you don't, it's not, it literally not rocket science. We can see what's going to happen and we can see what's going to happen to the companies. And mm. you, you've got to be in, in denial or terrified to kind of ignore the truth of where we're at and where we're going. In, in terms of how uh, you are planning to help in, in fact to work the workplace with mental, so mental being mm-hmm. your own creation uh, today, uh, how are you planning yeah. to, to to help people with uh, with mental and how different it is with within the existing solutions at the now the, the world is global so let's compare it to the global uh marketplace yeah uh, well it's a great question um and when everyone starts an answer with it's a great question that means that they're trying to think of time for the, the, time the right <laughs> absolutely no i mean look, there's a lot going on right now i think there was a report recently that said there was going to be 30,000 mental health apps uh created this year um and i, I don't think you know technology can help but that doesn't remove the human equation mm. um and I worry about some of the technology I see out there, which is trying to exploit people um, who are in need um, rather than actually help. So there's, there are business people out there that have recognized that there's money to be made in the space. Um, I'm a big believer all of my life in the power of stories. And there's behavioral science that tells us about the power of stories. Like we retain a story our brains retain there's a chemical reaction in our brain so if someone tells you a story um you remember it far more mm-hmm. than um relatable yes yeah you're relatable you know um so the thing i want to do is encourage is, is tackle stigma that's why we're called mental m-e-n-t-l um because that was the url that we could get no um but we just want to call it for what it is it's mental okay that's let's talk about this let's chat challenge stigma and let's have open conversations and i think that's the thing that we want to bring to it is we just want to have open conversations we want to build a safe space um let the community know and already on our website actually should launch in a couple of weeks time we're kind of primarily on social on linkedin at the minute um we've got people dialing in from australia from norway from the uk from europe uh from the us as well as the ue and and the gulf region which is which is brilliant um you know well because we're having the conversation um i think it's going to take courage for us to have more open conversations so i think that's 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 the dna of our business because that's just what i've done with all my life and i don't profess to be 
any kind of guru or expert. In fact, you know, it, it, I, I need as much help as everybody else out there. And I'm, I know I'm on a journey um, and I've got a lot of issues to deal with. I've, I've just woken up at 49 years old and 50 this year. Going, Do you know what? There's a lot of questions I need to ask. I'm not pretending to have the answers, but I do fundamentally know that there are bigger questions that we need to ask and big questions that we need to talk about. Um, and we all need to have that conversation. And if we can have that conversation and if we can normalize the conversation around mental health, because mm. if you think about it, we look at the physical, if we look at physical health and there is a big, obviously correlation between mental health and physical health, but we kind of now recognize that we have to look after our bodies. If we want, look, look depending on your view of religion we're only going one way you know we are we what the one certainty in life is that we're going to die you know so how long do we get and what's the quality of our life on this planet uh, so we've accepted that we need to take our vitamins maybe drink more water go to the gym cut down on alcohol uh, or not drink it at all um, stop smoking all these things to look at, uh, um, and we, we're going from, there's a big conversation from, we go to hospital when everything's broken physically to we're trying to avoid hospital by actually looking after our cholesterol levels, you know, and looking after our diet and looking after, you know, the, the vitamins that we take. So it's preventative, but what about our mental health? Because it's just as important. And the facts are that, you know, I think the statistics are World Health Organization statistics is that one in four people will be impacted by mental health. And they're the people that present. Uh, in the UEE, because of that always on culture, I think it, the, the last stats I saw was one in three. So one in three people, that's 33% of the population, are going to have issues that are so serious that they need to present to the medical system. Um, we know, we know this is like one, one in one or one in 1.1. But we know that. But we still haven't got to that point where that, why don't we do the work on us in terms of our mental health? We'll do it on terms of physical health. I'm trying to get fit again. I'm trying to lose weight. Yeah. Uh, mostly because as a, as a startup founder, I went into the private medical health insurance and I got charged extra for being overweight, which was depressing because I lied about my weight. But you know, there's all these things where we know it in the physical world. We need to see it in the mental health. Think about your car right you're the owner you're you're the owner of your car like you're the owner of the business and the machinery you invest in we take the car for service mm. we do preventative we, we do preventative work to keep our cars running rather than wait for your car to break down and then take it to the garage and get a massive bill so we'll do that for our car but we won't do that for our mental health we won't do that for us it's it you know we it's it's it, it's time for kind of change in that space so we look after our physical health we look after our cars now we need to start looking after our mental health because it's it's for all of us it's uh, almost inevitable that we're going to struggle and as we come back you know we learn from pain and we're never going to take the pain away completely there are always going to be challenges um they don't all need to be in the workplace and we can spend so much time of our lives in the workplace that that doesn't have to be the most toxic environment. That doesn't have to be, there's enough pain in the world that we're going to get that we have to add more to it in the workplace. And sometimes I think we've got leaders who are just trying to kind of do, distract themselves or, or take a pleasure in other people's pain to distract themselves from their own pain. Um, but, you know, 
The pandemic showed us that. There's enough pain and grief in the world. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna keep losing people when there's gonna continue to be tragedies just because of that is life. We don't need to add to that. Let, let's, let's maybe take a little bit off the plate. <laughs> You know, there's a. I think there's a there's a doctor here, Dr. Shivali. She's really good. She talks about um, the the bucket of stress that we have. You know, we have this bucket of anxiety, and it's not necessarily the big things. It's not. Sometimes it might not be cancer, or it might not be the death of your father, um, or it might not be um, your exam results, or all that sort of thing. It's often they're, they're big things, and they're going to be there anyway. You can't change them. They're going to be in your bucket anyway. The life's going to life's going to tip that into your bucket anyway. But it's the little things. It's the lack of sleeps. It's the toxic work cultures that just fill, that continue to fill that bucket up and up over the years, and then eventually it overflows, and then that's when we have trouble, and that's when we have broke. So, you know, there are uncontrollable anxieties and pains that we will face. Um, that's just part of human existence. But why do we have to add? controllable pains to that i i love the angle that that you're taking so yes we are in need to have relatable stories that can help us in terms of prevention and as you said there is many magazines many a lot of information about how to do gym how to eat healthier so and we need people are starting to have started to reflect about what is the type of gymnastics that you need for in order to be healthier in yeah. on your mental health and mental health is not about just having depression or just having stress or burnout yeah. it's about well-being and well-being is about yeah. how the hell do i become happy and fulfilled and what uh, what i want to achieve in life so and i i love this angle so I, definitely i'm going to be one of the first one to go and look for it or look look to, for that information hopefully scott you and me we can do a lot of things together on that also, okay. I, I'm, I really want to help you and I really want to contribute to that movement that you have started. Scott, thank you very much. If you think think about me, um, Scott. I absolutely, well, no, I love you. I love your passion. I love your energy. Um, and I, you, yeah, your, your lived experience is similar to my lived experience. So um, well done for you. And uh, like, thank you for speaking about it because we need to speak. Scott, so. Probably next week we have the launch of the uh, of the full website. So the if I remember correctly, so we are talking about mental m e n t l dot space. space. Yeah, dot space. This is yeah. one way to have the information. The other thing, yeah. how can people reach you, Scott? LinkedIn. Do you have a Instagram yeah. account with pictures? LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, look for his mental again m e n t l. Um, and also please come and uh, find me and follow me. If you put Scott Armstrong editor, you'll probably come up. Um, we're on Instagram, of course, mental.space. We're on TikTok, mental.space. Um, all these are developing channels. We're on Twitter, mental underscore space. Um, that, I'm, I've yet to kick off my Twitter because I, I don't like Twitter as a platform. Anyway, and we're on Facebook, of course, mental.space as well. So you'll find us in all good shops and sockists. Um, yeah, all the social <laughs> Thank media. you very much all for your time, Scott. Really appreciate no, your passion, you. and, I, and I we really needed people like you who understands the business side and the opportunity that there is for people to get onboarded on changing their lives and have healthier lifestyles. Thank you very much, Scott. It was lovely to have you today with uh, on Learn with Basin.
Take care. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the platform and, and great conversation. Thank you for just talking.